Welcome everybody to the Space Camp Podcast. I'm your host, Torsten, and Kyle was not able to join us today, but fortunately we have an individual who is going to bring to us a unique perspective on the war on drugs. And so we have a, a special guest. His name is Jose, and he is going to be talking a little bit about marijuana, the war on drugs, a lot of the issues going on and some of the changes in public perception that are happening these days. Jose, you want to say hello? to the, Absolutely. To the Thurston, thank you very much for that super nice introduction. <laughs> I hope I can live up to, to that description. And hello to everybody who is tuning in uh, for the podcast. Today, guys, we have a lot of really cool information. So looking forward to the discussion. Okay. So what we were going into today, we were going to discuss some of the the things going on with the war on drugs. Jose brings a pretty interesting perspective. He was born in Colombia and he knows the culture of Colombia and some of the the changing perspectives that are going on in terms of the world of drugs to a certain extent, as well as how things are in the Denver market. He's worked in the marijuana industry. And so what we're going to do is just kind of discuss some of these these ideas of the, the drug world. First off, we wanted to uh, kind of just go into our personal experience with drugs in general. And what was your perception kind of growing up in, you know, as a kid, as far as all the drugs, Jose. That's a good way to start, right? Because all of us at some point came across, you know, some type of illegal drugs when we were a kid, when we were kids. And I'm sure all of us had the conversation with our parents about drugs and how bad they are. And don't you do this or you're going to be grounded. And even schools too, because schools are always saying, hey, you know, all these things are evil. They're going to lead to homelessness and all these types of issues that are bound to happen. All these awful things related to drugs that is just uh, a complete, kind of like a fear campaign that it's not just that you don't use them or try, but is that you don't talk about them. You don't just go in a dinner with friends and, uh, you know, if you're in a long table and everybody's drinking and eating and everything and someone at the end of the table speaks louder and says, guacamole. Okay, nobody, nobody says anything about it. But if someone says marijuana or says cocaine, I mean, everybody's going to turn their heads and be like, who the hell is doing what yeah. here? Like, what's going on? So it's, it's a campaign that is not, not just to use, but not to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I think that leads into a lot of ignorance, uh, which is lack of knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's what ignorance is. Lack of knowledge and lack of understanding what drugs are, where they mm-hmm. come from, why some are bad, why some are really bad, why some are prohibited and why some drugs that are dirty and really bad for you are sold on every single corner uh, gas station, Mm -hmm. like tobacco cigarettes. No, it's the kind of things that we don't fully grasp what is the the entire idea of drugs. Just a little here, a little something. Would you say that in Colombia, so I would say with my experience, in the United States growing up, there was, like you said, the stigma towards drugs and they said that these are evil so um, give us give us some details like okay so where did you grow up and what do you remember to be 
not the first conversation, but you know, kind of like the general feeling in your or your middle school. I think the the general feeling was, you know, you take some of these health classes, and then they would show you they would show you a slideshow of going and take of someone using some sort of drug, and then it would automatically translate to someone being on the streets or having some detrimental episode in their life where everything goes to hell. And I think that was kind of the, I think that was the, the general perception. And um, I think my parents perpetuated that to a certain extent that you just never want to mess with this stuff because anything that you do that, that perceived as bad is hurt you. So I think from an early age, that was just the general stigma and grandparents, you know, everybody within the family, it, w- it was just something that you wouldn't just completely wouldn't. And I don't know if there was like a uh, particular instance that sticks out where it's like, you know, this is a case where I realized that, you know, everything's awful. It was just kind of the overarching sentiment of everybody. Did you have the same thing in Colombia, do you think, growing up? So I, in Colombia, I had, let's say, two things. One is that I had exactly the same as mentioning. I think, you know, these policies, they are cut with the same scissor across like all schools and countries. I also had, I went to a private Catholic school. There you go. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we had a lot of, like, it was just a, a one direction, but, you know, these are the name of the drugs that you shouldn't touch or do. And uh, that was it. There was no room to discuss, no room to ask. This is how it is. And if you do it, it's bad. So that was one element. Yeah. Now, the other thing is that growing up in Colombia, and uh, this was back in the 80s and 90s, back in the day, um, you know, the country had a lot of violence in the 80s and mm-hmm. because of the drug cartels. There was a lot of violence in the cities. Was the number one drug at that point cocaine or the coca plants or all different types of things? Uh, you know, Columbia. it was only back in those days, now that I think it was only... It was marijuana. Cocaine. Okay. That was pretty much all what you know what was talked about um but also in colombia there was this feeling that you know all these problems come from uh, drugs Mm -hmm. so if you use drugs then you yourself are fueling the very same violence that is in the country Mm -hmm. so you are kind of like tied between Mm -hmm. two fires so there's that you know if you want to explore something out of your curiosity then you have the guilt of, well, this is a drug, yeah. but you also have the guilt of, holy crap, I'm you know, fueling this war and these car bombs and all these drug dealers and all these kind of things. Huh. So it was a very, it was, I mean, drugs was like the devil when yeah. I was growing up. And in my own personal situation, we had a, a family member that ended up using, at uh, that time, it was a type of drug that is, in Spanish, it's called bazooko. And he's the base paste cocaine. And uh, for many years, he was addicted to it. He was kicked out of his home. Mm. Um, he ended up, you know, homeless for a number of years. I even run into him, um, you know, when I was in my hometown. This was a cousin of a first degree cousin. So he was very close to my... And my parents constantly told me, you know, look at your cousin. Look at what drugs do. You would never have to do something because you end up like that. Yeah. So I gotta tell you that I mean it was like on all sides. Yeah. You know, don't don't, don't do you'll it. end up like your cousin. Don't talk about it. This is what happened. So it was like a lot of uh, going into drugs for sure. That's amazing because that's I would say a little bit different from the United States because within 
the United States, I don't think there was that direct correlation to the actual violence, you know, maybe these, these underground drug markets were creating versus you where you're, you know, you had this, you would see it on TV where, and you had to have the idea if someone used drugs, they're contributing to car bombs or all this chaos that actually happens. So I would say that's one major difference. Imagine for you no, know, for a little kid or oh, for teenagers or this. My God. And imagine the parents, you know, looking at all these problems and having uh, to raise kids mm -hmm. in in you know such an. I think about my parents and they, <laughs> they went through a tough time with all this with all this thing. Which yeah. you know I always, I mention this sometimes because it's I mean. It would be odd that after all these things that happened when I was younger, now I end up working in drug poly yeah. and in the cannabis industry. How like we, the, with how all do, this, you will be like you will be the last person to touch these kind of things. How do your parents feel about that? That you got directly involved with the cannabis market? That's a, a very good question, and it's something that came slowly but surely. Um, honestly, I never use well. I used illegal drugs, alcohol and tobacco cigarettes. Mm -hmm. No, when I was young and restless. <laughs> um, but with them, uh, my conversation about cannabis came not as a user mm -hmm. or as an activist, but more from the business perspective and from the health perspective. When I started getting interested in cannabis industry, I started talking to them about what was the regulation, uh, you know, what the advances in regulation, what were the advancing uses. Hmm. And um, what was the opportunities in the? And um, I know that I mean I've been a little, I've been kind of like the black sheep in my family because you know I live in the U.S. and all Colombia, but you know at some point my parents trust what I do and I've made a lot of not good decisions but a ton of really good decisions. Mm -hmm. So they kind of trust what I do, mm -hmm. and uh, this was it was never a conversation that was what well, don't do this or you are smoking. I mean I'm already a grown up. So they were at least open to the conversation. Absolutely. And the thing is that they asked me when I was in Colombia if I have some drops, you know, for the pain that my dad had in his knee, um, for helping them fall asleep. Okay. Um, and not just my parents, my parents' friends. Like, people are coming out of the woodworks. Like, I mean, I will go into more detail this later, but yeah. when I was in Colombia last year, I attended a trade show with Canada, and I was visiting my family and all the and i i felt that i was taking confession from everybody because people would come to me and it's like well you know the last time that i used cannabis or smoked marijuana the last time that i did this and i was like <laughs> they'd pull you off to the side a little yeah. bit hey, like yeah it? we we had these plants that we grew and we made this tea like everybody was coming out my, my friends of my parents relatives turns out that everybody was using it not as a drug yeah but more as a medicine, you know, as yeah. a word of mouth, traditional. Yeah. But let's just don't jump ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, that, but that's an interesting, it's, it's fascinating that, you know, there is this hard stigma or there was this, at least as a kid, this perception that there was this overarching hard stigma against marijuana at least. And that when you come back there as an adult, it's like people open up and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we used it for this. And, and I think also the way you broached your parents saying like, Hey, uh, you know, this is what I'm getting into. Um, we're looking at, there's a lot of benefit to this industry beginning to surface and that sparked my interest in it and just being able to kind of convey it from that angle. And I think if you look at it from that perspective, that's kind of the, 
the theme that's going on in the United States and why we're beginning to see marijuana being legalized in, in a variety of different states. I don't want to put you in the spot, but have you talked to your parents about cannabis? Like the in, I mean, we are we live in Denver. Oh yeah. And for anyone who doesn't live in Denver, just a very quick few seconds uh, description is that throughout the cities there are these specialized pharmacies called dispensaries where you can legally buy cannabis products from flour to edibles, concentrates, creams, tinctures, everything, and and it's the most normal thing. Like. You know, in Denver, to talk about kind of a dispensary, talking about just anything, it's just part of who we are. It's just commonplace. Yeah, yeah. just for anyone who's thinking, what in the world are you guys? What, what is, no. You know, yeah. Denver and Colorado, this is happening for many years, and we're going to more, you know, just to give people a, Yeah. So you live in Denver. Oh, yeah. And the conversation, you know, inevitably comes up and, you know, like, right? oh, sooner have, or later, you know, have, have you gone into those places? And I think my parents are pretty lax in that. They understand that there's a changing of times. And I think what they told me for the longest time was, you know, don't use stuff. But they're beginning to be more open about it as well. And it's not like a stigma for them as well, which is interesting because they're in their 60s. But I was also, I was traveling one time. I was going to Chicago when I was actually driving. And I stopped over in Nebraska, pulled over at a gas station and I talked to just some random guy that I ran into pumping gas. And I was shocked because in Denver, we talk about it like it's nothing. And I and he was mentioning like how awful that marijuana was being legalized and all the problems it was causing. It was causing crimes to skyrocket. And he was listing off all this awful stuff. And I was in a place where it's just like, well, you know, I'm going to let this guy state his beliefs and everything and, and let him say say whatever he wants to say but it was just interesting seeing you know someone from a different generation in their perspective so i'd be curious as far as you know just the vast majority of americans or just individuals of an older generation if that stigma still holds truth that they believe that it causes all shit to you know to happen old habits of, you know heart die or something like that, the saying go. What I think is that, you know, we have always heard that, you know, parents, you have to talk to your children. Now, we have to be like, children, you need to talk to your parents about drugs. Like, we are all like children from the war on drugs, mm-hmm. because this is the thing that this hasn't existed in all of time. This is a fairly recent phenomenon. So now that we have grown up, it's now the time that us as children approach our parents and talk to them about drugs, you know, in particular like medicinal cannabis and these other things, not from the perspective of fear and don't talk about it and don't use it and don't do it, but more along the lines of this is the new information. There is already an industry, clean, good products Mm -hmm. with precise dosages, with a specific concern, aches, that, you know, that can help you and uh, is anyone's choice. So there's... I personally believe that there is no need to pull a joint you know sit down with your parents pull a joint and be like guys look at me i'm successful and i smoke this thing you know let's be a little human towards them um but i do believe that now we're reaching at a point where all of us who know uh have done our research about who know these things to talk to them you know in a more humane way with caring with love 
And I'm sure that, you know, they will understand. That's one of the big changes, I think, that is happening yeah. this entire war on drugs. Yeah. And I think your point, though, too, I think you mentioned earlier on that the medicinal benefits are beginning to just come out. And I think they're almost undeniable. At this. Um, seizures, I believe, was one that popped up that it can help with seizures, but also just chronic pain like arthritis. So there are these def- almost definitive uh, ways of being able to assist people using these drugs that are considered, you know, class one drugs according, is it according to the FDA or whoever designated, the DEA, whoever designates the the class, Mm -hmm. class one drugs. So under that classification, there's no medicinal benefits, which I, at this point in time, I think that the overwhelming evidence points to that being a little bit archaic. So it's it's that's a that's a, a very good point because that you know now that we talked about like what was our perception before drugs uh, with our own personal like you know, here in in the school and the presentation and the bear program and I think Nancy Reagan appear on the, I don't know commercials and all these kind of things that you know don't do this and and that was like a a different time and a and a different approach but if we you know take a step towards the present time, definitely there's been a lot of medical and technological in mm-hmm. the last 40 years that has definitely opened up information and the knowledge that was quote unquote. So definitely it's a good thing to know that times are changing mm-hmm. and they are not just changing because we're becoming evil or reckless in our behaviors, but it's because we know a lot more. Yeah, it's the information like, age. For example, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, which is the main agency that it was created on July 1st, 1973. Now, in 1973, there was no such thing as a cell phone. There was no such thing as social media. There was no internet. There was just TV. Uh, I mean, color TV was just like 15 years or 20 years yeah. uh, into existence. So... You know, when the Controlled Substance Act that put cannabis on the Schedule 1 and all other drugs, it was a completely different mentality. It was a very different time. Everybody was wearing mustaches. Like, really? You, you were like, people, what was wrong with you? The sad, the sad thing is that Kyle continues to sport the mustache. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, it's wild. Yeah, a completely different time. And you don't have the same level of information which is the 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 real game changer i think and so your main line of information is coming primarily from one source and when the dea designates a particular substance evil then hey you know are they trying to hurt you no they're they're out for your benefit right so what they say is law and so I think that was one of the overarching um, themes of that era is that you just don't have the information to refute some of those. That's a very good point. Back in those days, the sources of information were very limited. It was just television and the newspaper. And that's where all the truth came directly from. Mm-hmm. And the government was always you know, doing good things for you. There was really no way to question any of these things. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember back in the days meeting cannabis activists, which 
with all due respect to you know everybody's personal appearance and choice in clothing and hair, but these were dirty, smelly hippies. You know, <laughs> where did you meet the to- cannabis talking, talking about uh, you know smoking this thing and being good and, and the earth and the you know free the plant. And I was looking at these people, thinking, what in the why aren't you in jail? Yeah. You know, it's what are you talking about? Yeah, it's I mean, you know, <laughs> with all due respect, which, but I have to say, it was thanks to that activism back in the days that really kept all of this knowledge about cannabis mm-hmm. and propelled where we are today. Um, you know, I work in the cannabis industry, and a lot of times, activism and you know, people are looked down, but if you come to think about it, it was really at a time of peril that these people would come out to the street to protest with signs and, and things talking about cannabis. That must have been a scary time, this with cannabis. Nowadays, at least here in the U.S. and you know, here in Colorado, where we have already have the, you know, the great opportunity to live with, uh, with legal cannabis, it's not a big deal. I bet you back in the day that there were these activists, but there was probably these people hardcore against it. And yeah, like you said, it could be a dangerous situation beat the hell out of you after you leave your marijuana, pro-marijuana route. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And people who were growing cannabis, uh, that they needed to buy lights and, uh, you know, things to grow it. Mm. Like, they were afraid that they were going to be followed from the store to their place and, you know, just to find the plants and all this. So where did you meet, where did you meet these guys back in the day? You said you ran into some of these You hippies? know, surprisingly... Um, Colombia has had a long history of cannabis activism. Mm. And what happens is that, so Colombia sits uh, right on the equator and is there is no seasons. It's just uh, part of the year is the rainy season mm-hmm. and the rest is summer, okay. sunny, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and so if it's 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of So whatever you throw a cannabis plant, it's gonna, a plant is gonna grow. You know, whatever you throw a seed, there is going to be a plant growing, okay. no matter what. So there is an abundance of cannabis in the country. Like you don't need to be a master grower. You don't need to have lights. You don't need to have all that. You, you can do it seeds outdoor. In your January 1st, you can put a seed in the backyard. It's going to grow. Uh, November the 1st, July the 1st, it doesn't matter. Okay. So there was a lot of uh, cannabis in the country. Huh. And therefore, there was a lot of knowledge and especially cannabis and other medicinal plants, as opposed to in the United States where there is mostly pharmaceutical drugs that are normally used, whether you have pain or you have stomachache. What I've realized is that, at least from my experience growing up in South America, there was still a lot of these home remedies that people will do. Mm -hmm. And these home remedies include quote-unquote illegal plants, such as cannabis, coca plant, and... And it was the most normal thing. It was, you yeah. know, mainly you will do a tea or you will do something. To- that's been some, I feel like that's been something that's been going on through the ages. People have their home remedies. And in one of the articles that you had sent over in the show notes, there was, in, within Mexican culture, they have peyote in some areas. Or within Native American culture, they have peyote in a lot. And that is not strictly used for getting high and going off to different planets but it's also used for these medicinal issues where people have some sort of thing going on but it was used by someone within the community who had a knowledge of that plant 
for treating a particular issue, whether it's anxiety or depression or something, they would take these, these herbal supplements in order to kind of combat these natural ailments. Yeah. Traditionally, all our, our pharmacy was in the form and that most of the medicines that we yeah. from. So yeah, it was the most normal thing. The war on drugs is just something that came and was put on place of something that has been our way of life forever. Yeah. And, that's, it, and it sounds like, so Bush ended up starting the war on drugs, 1989, and they had this huge public campaign and that ended up taking all these different individuals that were caught up within, you know, just maybe even having a joint and put them in a lot of times put people who, you know, there was nonviolent offenses into prisons. And you see an overwhelming amount of people that are in locked up in the United States prison system for nonviolent offenses related to, which sucks up an incredible amount of governmental funds, which puts a lot of uh, additional forces to work, like police forces to go and they attack certain communities to uh, aggressively pursue these policies. And it, I would argue that it's created an incredible mess within the United States as a whole. Um, do you see that something similar in Colombia or did they not persecute it to the same extent, would you, you say? You mean you, you don't see the war on drugs of bringing a lot of peace to the world? <laughs> not so much. Doesn't not so like much, it. right? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, as we were talking just a moment ago before the show, Everybody complains about the war. If you start asking people about, you know, drug prohibition and sort of incarceration and violence and specific minorities, everybody bitches about. But nobody does anything. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a policy that is in the background, but it just keeps going on and on and on, and there's kind of a way to stop it. So, you know, now that we're getting into like more details about the prohibition itself with incarceration and George H.W. Bush and all this. How about if we just go back kind of like to last century and uh, kind of talk a little bit about how this all got started and, uh, you know, just kind of like in a nutshell, how is it that cannabis prohibition came to be? How is it that the Drug Enforcement Administration? Well, didn't it start off with with hemp? Like hemp was a major, it, it had the potential being a major crop within the United States. And then that was quickly shut down by, let's say, the cotton industry? Or- so if we go a little, uh, oh. just a, a little before that, okay. you know, one of the very first large-scale prohibitions in our country is alcohol. Okay. And, you know, today alcohol is like, I mean, we just drink a beer. We don't, we don't see alcohol as a drug mm-hmm. or as a psychoactive drug, but alcohol is a psychoactive drug. So if we go back to the alcohol prohibition, which was, you know, ju- just to kind of like to put a, a point of start to our conversation mm-hmm. before going back to the, the Inca Empire or the Aztec Empire where the Spaniards prohibited a whole bunch of things. You know, let's, let's just don't go that far. But, mm-hmm. you know, start with alcohol prohibition, which basically what happens is that the government say alcohol is bad. Nobody's going to use it again. So at that moment with alcohol, it never disappeared. Mm-hmm. It was still very much present. But what happens is that the alcohol that was sold, it was alcohol without any quality. Uh, you didn't know what was in it. Still, it was still sold on the black market, right? Yeah, sold in the so black it market. it continued being sold. People, businesses, 
but then there was no regulation for me to go and make it in my bathtub and yeah people were cooking moonshine and there was you know whiskey distilled i don't know where and so at that time at the time of alcohol prohibition there was no wine there was no different spirits it was just some type of alcohol gonna get you drunk and this ended up really bad you know the same thing that we have seen with cannabis massive incarceration a lot of violence police breaking into homes and all these kind of things someone argue it was like the proliferation of organized to a certain extent because you have such a huge income generating revenue with a great amount of demand and so if that's not allowed within a legal system then that's automatically going to be turned to a black market exactly creating a lot of money people can do it illicitly to protect their ass use any means a blood market that has no quality, there's no information about the product, you cannot return anything, it's highly overpriced, it's, it's a poor quality product that is very expensive. And the only regulation that exists is no. And if you do it, you're going to jail. And if you don't like it, we're gonna hit it in, in you know, we're gonna hit you in the head with a, with a stick. <laughs> You know, and if you still don't like it, then we're going to handcuff you and put you in jail. You know, it was the kind of things that it didn't work up to the point that they ended up being a constitutional change in order to end the alcohol prohibition. So I bring the alcohol because this is the beginning of the war on drugs that we still have going on. Mm -hmm. So there was this. um, And yeah, so the war. The prohibition ended because there was, there was so much momentum against it. So that just fell apart completely. Yeah, but the one important thing to know is that there was the, it was called the Bureau of Narcotics or something, which was the government office in charge of the alcohol prohibition. Mm. Now, when alcohol was no longer illegal, then what were these people to do? Because this was a, you know, uh-huh. I mean, there, there was an, an agency of the government. So that was, was created during prohibition. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. And um, you know, everybody needed to pay the mortgages back in the days and yeah. buy the Ford Model T or Put know, work somewhere else. Yes. So what happens is that this person called Harry Anslinger came on board right at the end of alcohol prohibition to be in charge of the Bureau of Alcohol. Forgive me, I don't remember that. And what he did is that he turned that alcohol prohibition and all the manpower and all the legal authorities that they had towards something else to keep it moving. And that something else was cannabis, which at that time was hemp. And this is just a short introduction to tie it up to what you say about, you know, that hemp and cannabis was originally you know, forbidden back in the 1930s. And um, there was, you know, all these different economic interests mm-hmm. against hemp for paper, for fuel, for clothing that ended up prohibiting a plant that had been with us forever. Yeah. So with so many benefits. Exactly. That's... You know that what what happens is that um, so hemp and cannabis, they are the same plant. It's just that cannabis is like a bush and it has higher levels of THC, which is the, you know, the psychoactive. Hemp is more industrial. It grows much taller and much closer to mm-hmm. and is used mainly for the fiber. And so back in the days, 
um, the big industries were uh, for paper mm-hmm. is uh, come from China. clothing was and um, well fuel it's been oil well hemp can take you can make paper out of hemp uh, you can make clothing out of hemp yeah. and you can make biofuel so the story goes that all these powerful industries got together in order to prohibit hemp because it was against their own business there was this gentleman called Hearst Hearst who had you know the big uh, empire of newspapers and all that and he was using pulp uh, just from from trees and if hemp was going to be used to make paper he was out there you know to lose a lot of money that's where the yellow journalism comes from because paper that comes out of trees turns yellow over time Mm. but the paper that comes from hemp it just stays the same color well you know the original Bibles that were published. If you have seen any picture, if someone has seen any pictures that I open it up, it is still a paper that is still white and yeah. it's like a little hotter. All that is made. What? Really? So, I mean, this is very interesting. And, and you know, this is information that is fairly new to all of us. Yeah. I mean, sure, it's been... Maybe someone is listening to this and be like, oh, wow, no <laughs> clue. No, Probably. this is information that yeah. has been around forever, but... I mean, people like us were just kind of like discovered a few Digging years ago and whatnot. And yeah, that's, see, that's the, and what you had said to me earlier, it's amazing that you have hemp that is now eclipsing the marijuana, the actual marijuana plant. Another industry is booming from the same plant, but now being used for a whole array of different beneficial purposes. Yep, that's, uh, that's something that we were talking a, a moment ago. And yeah. it's it's something that we're seeing in the, let's call it the cannabis industry as mm-hmm. a general term. That, so for the, since California legalized cannabis in 96 mm-hmm. via the Prop 215, cannabis, the little, the bush plant with the THC was the one that was taking the lead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, found all these medicines and the dispensaries and all this. And hemp was in the background. Like, it was not something that was publicly talked about until just a few years ago. I think it was back in 2000. But it was under Barack Obama. He made a, he allowed a pilot program to grow hemp. And so some states were allowed to grow a very limited amount of hemp. There was not going to be any, you know, if they fill the paperwork and you know, follow the rules, there was no legal troubles. And there were some states that studied that. Colorado was one of those. Huh. Obviously, because we already had experience with the cannabis industry. So hemp was along the same lines. And um, so hemp started to grow slowly but surely. Huh. And it was really up until just a couple of years ago that hemp was taken out of the controlled substance app. And it's now, you know, no longer a controlled substance. It can travel between uh, states and it's not psychoactive. It was taken off the controlled substance list? Yes. Oh, that's... Yes. I didn't uh, realize that. You know, it's it's a huge news that really flew completely under the radar mm-hmm. because that simple thing really what it allowed was the massive growth what we're yeah. seeing in hemp yeah. and the applications of hemp go beyond what we have seen in cannabis so the cannabis which is you know you need to grow individual plants 
and you use the flower of the forest. Hemp, you grow it industrial, you know, acres and acres. It all grows together. You harvest it using heavy machinery. And with that, you can obviously extract medicine out of it. Mainly CBD, cannabidiol. Oh, you can? Yeah, mainly, you know, most of the CBD that is today uh, used in the U.S. Mm -hmm. The cannabis. That's fascinating, okay. Yeah, so just, you know, if anyone is kind of new to this, um, the main cannabinoid in the cannabis plant is THC. You know, which is the psychoactive uh, molecule, but it, but all cannabis plants also have uh, CBD and a whole bunch of other cannabinoids like CBG, CBN, CBD, all these letters. Hemp has mainly CBD and a little bit of THC and a little bit of CBG and CBN and all that. Some of the cannabis plants have been bred to have less THC and more CBD. Um, I would recommend anybody to watch a documentary called Weed by Dr. Sanji Gupta. Okay. Uh, it was um, shown on CNN, and it, on the first episode, it shows a little girl called Charlotte Fee that lives in Colorado. Her parents live here, mm-hmm. and she had um, epilepsy. And, I mean, it was a form of epilepsy to the point that it almost killed her, mm-hmm. up until the point where they started using CBD from a kind of I think I heard was she having like dozens of seizures a day or something just like, something crazy or something crazy yeah okay. and it, and the only thing that helped yep she was on something like 12 different medicines you know completely drooling not being able to communicate not having any type of stimuli yeah. and CBD was the only thing that helped her yeah and it was just something that if it was if the name was not CBD or wasn't related to cannabis and it was some I don't know unpronounceable pharmaceutical everybody would be like this is a miracle drug yeah but because he has the stigma that we talked a moment ago he's like well but seriously is this maybe what is happening or is so it's also part of that change so hemp is going very very big it's been already i heard somewhere that i mean you can use for so many different things i heard someone was saying they're using it for um building part of a car exterior incredibly strong lightweight so you could use this for the outside of a car and it looks the exact same the way it's designed but even stronger mm-hmm. and that's just amazing to me take a plant and do something at that level i read the same okay. uh, about yeah about the car and yeah. i do believe back in the 1934 built a car what? like the the structure or the outside of the car what okay. you were mentioning was made out of hemp and it was very strong so so they were already doing it a while back ago yeah they yeah. were absolutely uh hemp was made like the ropes in the boat to america all that was the you know the the first settlers they grew here in the u um even you know is is that this is the the contradictions in the war on draw which is that hemp was prohibited in the 19 mm-hmm. right there was the marijuana tax act of 1937 where the tax to grow hemp was just ridiculous so nobody could grow it and there was all this scare campaign well here comes the 1940s and second world war and here comes the invasion of japan of the philippines and all yeah. the southeast asia there was a you know a mess because the u.s was getting a lot of raw materials from this area in a time of war you know to add things uh, to add a little bit more well there was this thing that uh, this video from the Department of Agriculture or something called Hemp for Victory. And it's a video that we're going to put in the show notes. Okay. 
so that this is the federal government telling everybody in 1942 to grow hemp like if there's no tomorrow. Like you need to grow hemp for the war effort. So, so this is World War II then? Yes, this was the 1940s. And there was a lot of hemp that was grown in Kentucky, in Ohio, in all different areas. But then, as quickly as this trend began after 1945, then everything went quiet again. Mm. And this video, you know, it disappeared for decades. Nobody knew where it was until it resurfaced. So it's probably on YouTube. Th- thanks to the internet. <laughs> so, you know, it it's the kind of things in the war on drugs that hemp is said to be bad and not to do this, but... If we need it, then we will do it, and then we just cover it up. Yeah. You know, it's all this shadow game yeah. that the information doesn't come forward. Uh, there's a lot of falsities. Yeah. There is a lot of myths around it. And, you know, if you try to refute the, the amount of nonsense, then you end up spending a lot more time. Yeah, which is kind of like the... The bullshit asymmetry principle that we yes, discussed before. Yes, I love it when I read yeah. it. <laughs> it's just, yeah, the amount of energy that goes correcting, it takes so much more. Just give some bullshit. To yep. Which is just an interesting Absolutely. dynamic. So, you know, kind of like tying all this together, you know, the alcohol prohibition, stuff didn't work. Now everything is regulated. We know where to get it. We know the quality. We know if we drink one beer, how much alcohol content is in there, how much I can drink, how much I cannot drink. The same thing is happening um, now with the cannabis injury. Yeah. You know, we now have exact dosing. We know how to use it. We know from products. Which is wild how that began to develop. It, when I first came out here, what I was going to say as far as the, the exact doses, it seems like they've gotten so much better at the, about that, even within the last like five years since I've moved out here. Because before it seemed like they would create a big batch of some sort of edible or something, and then all the concentrated THC could get locked into one side. And I think that was a cause the huge, some, some outcries, because you'd have someone who had never, no experience with, with any type of THC product, and they thought they were getting 10 milligrams of something, but they would eat one chunk of a candy bar or whatever it came in, and it turned out to be a full 90 milligrams in one little bit. I think that's one of the reasons they began to kind of regulate that. Exactly. And it's the most normal thing in an industry, right? Um, Back in the days, it's like, you know, things were looked very artisanal, Mm -hmm. but there was no, like, putting all the knowledge of the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry into this product which is what we have seen in the last you know, five years, 10 years, yeah. when this is really maturing to be just a normal industry. Uh, it was the, there is a company in Colorado called The Incredibles, and they have all these edibles, the Boulder Bar and oh, yeah. all this. And I, I was at a meeting where the CEO spoke about it. And when they were uh, starting to plan going into business, he approached one of the, he had experience in food and all this, so he approached one of the persons that he was working with about this. You know, if if they could do a cannabis product that the dose was the same on, if it's a if it's a chocolate bar divided in ten pieces, that every single piece had a specific ten milligrams of cannabis of THC, yeah. and the guy looked at him and he's like, "Listen, this is an ingredient like anything else, right? If whatever you want to put there." we will make it homogeneous enough 
so that this no one is gonna have like one piece has 90 milligrams and another piece has like 0.1 yeah we'll do it the same and this was one of the first kind of like bumps in the road uh for cannabis to be mainstream yeah but because they couldn't figure it out at first they couldn't figure out how to do that because now what do they do they have their each individual gummies that are separately injected i'm not exactly sure so, how that even works. you know back in the days everything was very artisanal okay like you use butter or coconut oil or something and mix it put in a blender put, you know whatever it is that you do but that is fine if you're doing something for yourself yeah but if you're doing something for a business then you have to use special machinery yeah and have a special testing that goes with it so once you get people who have experience in the food industry uh, yeah. in the pharmaceutical industry in uh, even the fish oil industry um which is uh there's a hemp lab that the parent company worked for like 30 years doing capsules for fish oil mm-hmm. where you need to take the oil you need to extract it you need to purify it, you need to pull things apart and you need to put it in a capsule and all this is a process so all the information and all the technology is already there okay. it just needed to be applied to Canada and there is a learning curve like yeah. with everything right um, eventually when you know in the next few years when we see new quote-unquote illegal drug coming into a market such as magic mushrooms, psilocybin, mm-hmm. or such as uh, the coca plant and the products, or MDMA, which is known as ecstasy. All these are medicines that you know are coming towards the medicinal part of it, and is done under all the proper you know procedures, just yeah. like anything else. So it was a learning curve, but now in Colorado, where we live, we know that. You know, if we buy 10 milligrams of something, then there is 10 milligrams. It's not that you buy a beer of six degrees of alcohol and you end up getting 35. Yeah. No, that that no longer happens. Yeah, they have so it down it's just to the a, science now. Absolutely. And it's just a matter of, you know, the industry growing, learning, and having not just the, the scientific tools, but also the rules that they can follow and that they know how to do this. Yeah. And that's the great thing about the regulation, that yeah. this stops being a black box where you know you buy a bag of something and only God knows what is in there, yeah. to having a list of ingredients, having you know companies that have been operating for years, and you know exactly what you're getting. So it seems like you're very pro-cannabis and hemp and the way that things are moving forward, it seems like you're in total that that movement um you know quite a contrast from when i was growing up thinking that this stuff was evil yeah and now seeing the great benefits um that this brings and um i am really um you know encouraged by a lot of the things that i see and a lot of things and you know if we just put the industry to the side which is an exciting topic of conversation and if you open a newspaper chances are you're going to see an article about how big the cannabis industry is going to be or, you know, that kind of thing. So if we put all that and all the money aside and we talk a little bit about, at the end, why is it that cannabis is now on everybody's um, words? Why is it that it's all over the place? Well, I mean, the short answer is because it's an amazing medicine. 
you know, if it wasn't, this thing would have died many, many decades ago. It yeah. wouldn't even resurface. But what happens is that cannabis works and works in a way that we have yet to see in any other product, any other medicine, any other type of wellness. In a nutshell, um, it, there's like two major things about this. One is pain. You know, it's a great medicine to manage, control, and reduce pain. And pain is one of the main factors uh, for people taking any type of drug or any type of, you know, doing any type of right. There is millions of people in the United States with chronic pain every day. And all of us, at some point, you know, we get a little pain or ache here and there, and cannabis works for, right. and it works very well. So, you know, it's something that if it didn't work, it would not be here. So, by that same vein of thought, are you similarly pro hallucinogen? Do you think that there, do you think that is beginning to change as well? Obviously, the the tide is not nearly to the same extent as with marijuana. Do you think that? That's a very good point. That MDMA, or you had mentioned psilocybin. Do you think that there are similar benefits? That is a very good point. And now we are venturing, you know. I would say away from the comfort zone of many, of quite a few people that may be listening to this. Because now we're talking about alcohol, the war on drugs, cannabis. Like a lot of us kind of know a little bit about it. And there's a lot of information peers, you know, regularly. Yeah. But then there are things that we are still very much in the realm of the of that fear that comes with the war. And we are still kind of finding the words to define this new medicine. Like back in the days with cannabis, there were only two questions. Well, is good or bad? Is legal or illegal? Is addictive or not addictive? Today, we have a universe of terminology and words that allows to explain cannabis. THC, CBD, pain, cannabinoids, dispensary, all these kind of things. Well, now, when we move to what is known as magic mushroom, which is psilocybin, we don't have yet that or hallucinogenics or you know all these words that are still you know may cause a little bit of anxiety on a lot of people we are at the early stages of seeing uh, psilocybin magic mushrooms mdma ecstasy uh, or the coca plant we're on the very early stages as cannabis was maybe in 1996 when it was first regulated when first uh, legalized in mm -hmm. california where we know that there is medicine, we know that there are applications for it. We have unearthed a ton of information of how this was passed, used, not abused. And we're just coming to the realization that these are medicines. So we're still defining how that is gonna look like, how that is gonna be used, and how, how we are gonna interact with that. And it's perfectly normal because this is new. And if we do a podcast in five years or in 10 years about this and we listen to this, we'll be like, man, we have no idea you know, compared to the advances. Now. So to answer your question, there is, I mean, in one hand, the war on drugs really is the worst idea in the history of bad ideas. So the fact I'm that sure we that are... A, I'm sure that's a valid argument. You know, the fact that the we are prohibiting cost. all these things... And slowly but surely, we're finding out that number one, prohibition doesn't work, never works. 
was never designed to work. Mm -hmm. This has been going on for a century and is still the same thing. So in one hand, prohibition has never worked. But on the other hand, education, investigation, and learning how to use this for our own good and our health is, it, I mean, is really what we have seen that has worked and is the, is the natural way of things. So what I see coming up in the next few years is obviously um, psilocybin. There is going to be a lot more invest about it. And they're and already doing studies, which is fascinating. There's a ton of studies. John Hopkins is doing a study. And especially there is going to be a lot of products where you're going to know how easy that they, these products are going to affect you. So if we go directly and talk about magic money, I think that everybody thinks that the only way to consume a magic money is to get high beyond belief. That's what everybody thinks. However, there is something called microdosing, which is taking very little amounts of psilocybin. And this can be used for pain, for PTSD, for depression. And this is something that is just starting to, to you know, I mean, it's been known forever, but the microdosing is something that is fairly new. So we don't need to get high beyond belief in order to use any of this medicine. To get the benefits. Exactly, to get the benefits. If there are benefits, now beginning to dig into it to see if there are those benefits. Well, there's a lot of, I mean, let's just say maybe I think was Aristotle, the one who said that the difference between a poison and a medicine is just the dose, okay. right? If, take for instance, alcohol. I mean, we can drink a beer, 6%, no problem. But if we take a shot of tequila, whiskey, or aguardiente from South America, 40% alcohol, I mean, this thing is not gonna end up good. No. Take 10 shots and then you're on the floor. Exactly. But we know how to use it. So the yeah. same thing is going to happen with uh, psilocybin medicine, with yeah. all these other types. But you know, the thing is that I guess we have realized that nothing that is prohibited is inherently bad. Right. It's just how you use it, right? And how it is produced. Maybe someone is thinking, well, dude, how about these really bad drugs such as crack, you know, such as cocaine? Well, let's step back for a moment and let's think about what these products are. No, these products come from an illegal market. And to be specific, the white powder, you know, cocaine, this is something that is being extracted, used gasoline, you know, in, in the forest, in the jungle, in the middle of nowhere, with no quality control. Then it gets reduced using other chemicals that are not meant for human consumption. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the supermarket and you buy an, ex an almond extract or a vanilla extract, you know, to do your baking, all this has been extracted using um, mediums that are approved for food, such as ethanol, such as CO2, uh, well, it could be butane, you know, that need to be extracted. But you know, all this is approved for human consumption. Mm -hmm. Gasoline is not, right? Like you're not gonna buy anything that has been extracted, you know, extracted gasoline. using gasoline or diesel, which is sometimes you. So when we see these products, the, you know, the white powder, these are products that are inherently bad because they have no follow any type of um, you know, health regulation. But now, what happens if we take this very same, you know, the coca plant, to give this example, and instead of making this white powder that goes through the nose, which 
you know, is not a common thing. We make other products, you know, teas and extracts and tinctures and creams with low doses. Of course that we're gonna grow a normal Indian. You know, is is the products, is how you make them, and is how you use them. Mm -hmm. If we follow that, uh, always looking at the wellness, guys, we can use every and any single thing on planet Earth, everything to our advantage. But you know, prohibiting and putting a ton of fear on top of all these products and all these medicines is really taking us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Whole bunch of ignorance. People, you know, when you are traveling through Nebraska and saying things that are not accurate, all the bad things that are happening in Colorado, God, it's only good things happening in the cannabis industry. I can tell you because we're here, I have been in the industry, and I can tell you uh, no, by experience. So I think that all these new you know, medicines that are coming up, in the next few years, we'll be developing not just the knowledge, but also the way that we can communicate about in a way that is just a more normal thing. Yeah, and I think the conversation about it is important. One of the things that you had brought up, were you going to... No, I want to ask you, so what's a long wine <laughs> exp uh, dissertation about the importance of this mushroom and this other drug, but what do you think? What When someone says magic mushrooms or ecstasy, because yeah. um, we didn't, just to clarify, I mean, we had a conversation before the podcast, but we didn't go into detail about a whole bunch of things because, you know, we wanted the conversation to be, I mean, to be spontaneous. And uh, so someone comes and, you know, says to you magic mushrooms or ecstasy. What comes to your mind? Well, what, what do you think? I listen to a lot of Tim Ferriss, and I think that what they're doing, some of the studies that he's putting uh, a considerable amount of money behind, I think it has the potential to an incredible amount of good. I think one of the studies that is going on, I think he's looking specifically at psilocybin and using it within John Hopkins and being able to study depression and I believe some PTSD. But another example, I think there's been some considerable amount of studies on MDMA. With MDMA, I find it incredibly fascinating how they've tested MDMA on many PTSD individuals has had an outstanding result as far as being able to help those individuals with these, these deep-seated um, PTSD episodes and being able to bring that and unlock those those issues that they're having and the fact that it's been so incredibly successful with you know I think it's like two-thirds out of the, the out of the patients that they've dealt with have had notable benefits from these these treatments and so when you say something like you know what, what are my thoughts on psilocybin what are my thoughts on MDMA I think, yeah, it's, it, they're considered some of the party drugs, some of the, you know, going and tripping in the woods. But it's interesting these days that they actually have some evidence behind how they can actually unlock some of the deep-seated issues that are going on within our society where people can have tremendous benefit from some of the, the big things that are threatening our culture. But now here is something that has been proven to be successful in treating these issues i think that just unlocks a new doorway into the realm of possibility within various new treatments for a lot of different so i think it's an exciting time and i think it's very it's exciting that people are open to and the potential that this kind of you know new medicines have yeah like, as you mentioned two-thirds of people 
uh, show a positive developments six months after. If you think that the normal antidepressant, uh, only like 25% of people antidepressants, you know, feel better after a certain number of months or something I'd like that. Be, I'd be curious, yeah, what what the actual numbers are on that. I, I don't know offhand, but I would assume, I would assume that they're not as high as what shown within these studies with Jens. Yep, there's a, there's a, a very, you know, big potential. Yeah. And perhaps in the future, if back in the days there were marijuana was just like not, you know, no one should say this word, you know, terms such as hallucinogenic and magic motion and psilocybin and all these would be just part of normal conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we get to learn more about these things. Yeah. Which is definitely another of the things that we keep adding to the what we talked at the beginning, which is the end of the war on drugs, right? The, after all, the war on drugs is just a, a small number of plants or bad drugs, such as cannabis, a coca plant, you know, mushrooms, and ecstasy, and peyote, and we're you know, pretty much running out of the Schedule 1 substances and Schedule 2. Yeah. So I think that as all these medicines get studied, industries get developed behind them we understand how to use them and then the war on drugs is already you know winding down well in a way it's winding down but you know what happens with any war is that when it comes towards the end is when it gets ever more violent and that's something you know just to keep in mind because we for sure in the next few years we're gonna have some very big scare news you know kind of like to remind everybody that drugs are bad one of those things and this is something that we will maybe talk in more detail about it is that is what's happening with vapes and vaping so we're filming this um, in november of 2019 and since august of this year there has been a peak of stories of what's happening with vaping mm -hmm. right now do you remember listening this hearing about these stories before like last year or before that? I think it's been going on for the last six months to a year we actually dug into that in one of our previous podcasts but it's it it's definitely related in that there was this hysteria related to vaping um, and it, it created a backlash against vaping however when you dug into it it sounded like it was more related to a lot of the the kind of the back alley methods of creating the vape so the regular methods, it doesn't seem like there's been notable issues with that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at some of the, I think like the vitamin E oils that they've been using to create these big plumes of smoke through some of the kind of random people building their own to make money, mm -hmm. then that has caused some significant issues when it's not as regulated from my and, understanding. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like the same things that I've heard. But is there... I see this as one more episode in the war on drugs mm -hmm. that suddenly everything is fine, everything is sunny, and out of the blue, there's this big scare. And there's immediately like legislation. Yeah. And uh, like in Massachusetts, all the vaping was forbidden. And it was, the state was sued because, I mean, vaping has been going on for a decade. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the safest ways of consuming. Um, Cannabis. Oh, as far as the yeah. cannabis side of things, too. Yeah. Consuming cannabis. Yeah. Uh, second only to vaporizing the flower itself. Yeah. But this is one of those things about the war on drugs where 
There's very little information at the beginning, very big scare, and uh, That's laws and regulations are put in place without having any information. That's a great point. And then, you know, when we start to realize about the vitamin E, about the, you know, that this is not part of products that have been regulated, then the policies and the, the rules are still there. Mm-hmm. And um, there was even a company, a, a vaping company, that actually makes the, the actual battery and the cartridges that they have to lay off like 50 people. Yeah. You know, just because of this. So I, I see that as yet another wave of the war on drugs. And, yeah. you know, for sure that in the next few months, what I definitely see coming up is that we're going to see the same scare out of a sudden, out of the blue, people are gonna start dropping dead like flies. And the culprit is gonna be edibles, yeah. for sure, because edibles is one of the fastest growing uh, segments so in the cannabis industry. Shut down all so, the marijuana. Yeah, you know, we're gonna have exactly the same scare out of the blue. It's a mysterious illness. We don't know what's happening. Regulation is passed. And when the dust settles, and we're like, guys I mean it wasn't what you thought at the beginning then yeah. all these regulation has been in play so this is one of those tactics of the war on drugs to you know keep the eyes open if it's sudden if it's fearful if it's mysterious I'm sure it's coming from the headquarters yeah. of the drug enforcement administration you know as opposed or the, to, to or the pharmaceutical companies or, the, or something yeah or something like that yeah well that's a, a good note I think to kind of close things out you have to be careful with you know some of these these supposed scares that have the potential to reverse all the you know i think we can say at this point in time all the good that can come from these products so all the knowledge and insight that we have we have to be careful that we don't have one of these you know scares that automatically creates new legislation that shuts everything down absolutely no i think we beat this horse Pretty good, although I think there is a ton of things, uh, you know, still left on the table. Yeah, I'd be interested on, on uh, everybody listening to this. What do you get out of this? What, what were the points that were not clear or that you want to learn more about it? And we will definitely dive into and uh, make sure that, you know, we bring it. And so we'll close things out with our random catchphrase generator. And it is belittle their unforeseen can. Belittle their unforeseen can. And we might have to break that down next time. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but... Belittle their unforeseen can. My God. <laughs> Maybe it's the, the, the can of worms that's going to be unleashed. The, the new news that's going to come out and be the big scare tactic. We have to belittle that unforeseen can of worms. I love it. Yes, I see it now. Exactly. I think so. People, keep your eyes open and keep your mind active. And, uh, you know, just by closing, think about, you know, as we started this uh, podcast, what were your thoughts about drugs and prohibition back in the days when you were and how things have changed today? Think about, reflect that for a moment and think what is going to happen in 20 years from today. You know, what is it that we're going to be saying and thinking back in those days? For sure that this podcast is going to be super outdated. (laughs) Uh, But it's a very good exercise to think that all the, you know, the scares that we have and all this prohibition, that is going away because 
we're growing, we're learning, we, we're walking away from all these fearful statements and into knowledge, which is at the end of the day what, what we all need, knowledge and uh, wellness and health. I think that's a good way to close things out here. Uh, I want to thank Jose for joining us today. Greatly appreciate his insight here. And thanks again. Yay! The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.